Welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast, and thank you for buying your tickets to the Warrior Train Express. I'm your conductor and host, Corey Mueller. Today, our guest is a very close friend of mine, Mr. Dallas Kempton. We discuss all things rugby culture. Prepare to be blown away. All aboard! Hello, Dallas. Hi, Corey. How are you doing today? <laughs> uh, I am just lively, my friend. Lively. Just lively. Lively. That's great. That's exactly how I want you to be. So we're going to jump right in. Uh, who are you? What do you do? And where do you do it? Uh, my name is Stephen Dallas Kempton. I am uh, 30 years old. Currently, I work at Southern Peaks Regional Treatment Center, and I work with juvenile delinquents that have trauma. Um, mm. Been doing that for the last five years. Um, I live with my wonderful girlfriend, uh, Sarah Gilly, and our new puppy and her daughter. Yeah, he's a he's a real treat. He peed on Annie's face the other day. <laughs> <laughs> dominance asserted right off the bat. Yeah, we'll call it that. We'll call it dominance and not being terrified. That's fine. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking a little bit about your rugby career. Um, you played... At the time, it was pretty much the highest level of rugby in the country. Um, the, the only step above that would have been the national team. Um, you played with the Glendale Raptors, if I, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I played with uh, Glendale. I had three or four seasons. Uh, it equated to about a year and a half, two years. Um, you know, it was, it was very interesting. I got to try out for the... Eagles side a couple times for sevens, uh, came up short with that, but I got to enjoy a fun experience with the Glendale Raptors for about three or four seasons before I finally got injured and succumbed to concussions. Well, and as a rugby player, just being able to try out with the Eagles is, I mean, that's, that's like a dream come true, even just being able to try out. Yeah, I got... Uh, so given a little bit of the backdrop, uh, I played at UNC in Greeley. I played there for three years, uh, maybe no, four, three or four years. And uh, UNC is the University of Northern Colorado? Yeah. Okay. And I played there through 2008 to 2011. Um, playing there, I played flanker, loose side flanker. Um, when I left, that's the spot that I was playing. Open side and weak side, and then I want to say prior to that, I learned how to play inside and outside center, as well as my first year up there playing, I learned how to play wing. Uh, so it's six four two twenty five is what I used to play at. That was pretty athletic. Mm. Um, I topped out at a four four nine four four eight forty. I ran a little bit over a ten flat hundred meter. So the measurables were solid. Yeah. So, how long have you played in total? Uh, in total, I started playing when I was a freshman in high school. I, uh, I played baseball as a kid growing up. Um, made the little uh, Mesa, Arizona Little League uh, national team, but my parents would not let me play because we played on Sundays and they are Mormon, God bless their soul. Mm. Uh, but I was always super athletic as a kid, and then... You know, we moved from Arizona to Colorado, and I learned real quick when I got to Colorado that baseball was a lot more politically driven out here as opposed to Arizona. Um, you know, you made the team if you donated money. Uh, you made the team if your parents were rich and in with the coaches. Um, 
So baseball really tapered off for me. And in eighth grade, that was a lot of my identity. And then, you know, I remember being, I remember working at the Pinery Country Club. They had a tournament and I was doing golf ball spotting. So people that sucked that would shank their golf balls, (laughs) I'd just run them down and throw a flag by them. Yep. And uh, one of the coaches for Ponderosa High School, which is in Parker, Colorado, he came up and told me, hey, you should go try out for the football team. So I said, okay. I went out for football my freshman year. Um, I was super goofy and awkward because I was 6'2", 200 pounds, big feet. I had no clue what I was doing. and So nothing has changed, basically. <laughs> you can rip on me all you want there, my friend. But uh, he, got, he convinced me. So I went out and I tried out for the high school team. And, you know, I made the freshman team. I was rotating in, playing D-line and O-line. I had no clue what I was doing. Um, and then off season hit and I didn't really know what off season meant because growing up in Arizona in the South, it was always baseball, baseball, baseball. And I went and did track for a season. I was doing shot put and discus and, you know, I had a blast doing shot put and discus, but I was also bored out of my mind when you sit there and you throw a shot put and a disc and you work on technique, technique. I looked over one day and I saw the rugby team out there practicing and just hitting the hell out of each other. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, shit, I want to go do that. And, uh, you know, my coach wasn't too happy with me because he was also my football coach. And, you know, I qualified for state for discus and shot my freshman year. And I went and did that and told him I would not be coming back because I wanted to go play rugby. So it's pretty safe to say that you had a – very athletic background to begin with, which eventually led to this beautiful new world of rugby. And uh, yeah, it, it is a beautiful world. There's so much interesting culture behind rugby. It's a worldwide sport. Um, so that's a good segue into my next question. It, what do you think rugby culture is all about? Uh, that's a loaded question. Um, Let's hear a loaded answer. Um, rugby culture uh, what I was exposed to in high school we had a coach his name was Chris Marshall Um, I love the guy I played with both of his sons he was from New Zealand his whole family was from New Zealand Um, they were they they were rugby rooted football American football was weird to them soccer soccer wasn't too big on their priority list either it was all about uh, excuse me, rugby. And, you know, what I learned from him and what I learned from his boys who had spent some time playing overseas was rugby is truly a gentleman's game. It really is one of those things where you can go out and you can be best friends with the guy opposite of you and you just knock the ever living hell out of each other mm-hmm. for 80 minutes or whatever extended time the ref gives you. And, You know, at the end of the game, you shake hands, you hug, and you go out for a beer or you go out and you have fun. You go to a barbecue. You guys hang out together. In Uh, high school, you had pizza. In college, you had beer. Well, uh, (laughs) yeah, traditionally, uh, where I was going to high school, we were a little more unorthodox. Ah. Um, But, you know, with that said, 15 years ago, back in 2000, between 2004 and 2007, it was – 
you know, you got to slap on the wrist if you were caught drinking. You got to mm-hmm. slap on the wrist if you guys were out having a bonfire and in somebody's backyard drinking a couple beers and yep. having fun. It's a lot different now. But I think you hit the nail on the head. The, the best thing for me about rugby culture is definitely you go out and you pound each other into the ground. And then you go to the bar afterwards and you lie about how the game went. And <laughs> you sing some rugby songs and... Um, you make everyone feel good about themselves, and it, it's kind of a fun event that not many other sports get to experience. So I think you hit that right on the head. The social aspect is amazing because you can go anywhere. Yeah, and I'm still, and it's it's true. Like one, no matter what team you play on, you're still friends yeah. with those guys. Yep. No matter how far apart, how spread out you guys get, you know, at the end of the day, it's. Uh, you know, I haven't served in the military, but I've worked with a lot of guys in the military. It's it's the same thing. Like, you go shed blood, sweat, and tears with somebody, and you fight in the mud, and you, you know, you battle something out. Like, those are your brothers at the end of the day. Absolutely. And it doesn't matter how far apart you guys are, you're still brothers. Mm-hmm. It's a bond that you can't build doing much else. So I, I completely agree with that. Um, and the, the, the cool thing about it is you can go anywhere – and you can join a club, and you're instantly a part of something bigger than you that everybody understands, no matter where you go. Um, and it's really an amazing thing. The languages are all the same, no matter where you're from. Um, it's it's really it's an incredible thing. So, rugby culture is great. Something I want to ask you about is, so you played at a really high level. We talked a little bit about getting you got into it in high school. You played at a high level in college, but then after college, you moved on and you started playing with the Glendale Raptors. And for anyone who doesn't know, the Glendale Raptors were the premier club in the United States uh, for rugby. Back between, yeah, about 2006 yeah. to 2000. Pretty much like 2014, Literally, 2015. I would, even, I would even argue up until this day, like the I know the MLR has come around, which for those of you guys that don't know, it's the Major League Rugby which that is professional rugby here in the United States. Uh, and that's new within the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. It's mirrored for the last two years. It's mirrored how they have done you know, similar leagues over in Europe, Asia, as well as uh, the Pacific Islands, which for those of you guys that don't know, the Pacific Islands, Australia, um, South Africa, it's huge. Like mm-hmm. they, they have intercontinental leagues where yep. they just play certain teams uh, all year round and then you know loading up to the World Cup all these teams start playing each other biting for positions uh, right and you know here in the US it was back between I want to say 2006 2007 is when Glendale really started getting their foot yep. in the door yep and they were a premier men's club here in the U.S. and a lot of those guys that played for Glendale or the Denver Barbarians, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of those guys had dual. Uh, I want to club say, memberships. Yeah, I want to say citizenship, but yeah. yeah, club memberships. They would in their free time play for those clubs, and then during the seasons they would play for the U.S. Eagles. They would play uh, internationally and. Back then, Colorado was really the the forefront for what we get to experience now for rugby. So basically, Glendale was the peak of rugby in the United States for quite a long time. Yes. And you played at that level, 
Yeah. What type of work went into you playing at such a high level? Oh, that. So that in regards to, you know, your fitness, your nutrition, um, what did that require for you to do the sport at such a high level? Well, I'm going to say this. Uh, anybody that wants to go play professional football or baseball, basketball, soccer, um, you do not know what true fitness is about until you go experience a full 80-minute game of rugby where you play defense, you play offense, you're sprinting up and down the field. Um, so when we talk about fitness and we talk about level of preparation for that, um, I had very good habits in high school and college. Uh, what were some of those habits? Um, I was not afraid to work hard. Um, you know, when my friends would be out drinking or at the bar or partying in a friend's house in high school, I was I was going out and doing five to ten mile runs. I was spending, you know, two hours doing a jog around campus up at UNC. I would. I would go to the weight room at five o'clock in the morning. I would, you know, I, I would pour the blood, sweat, and tears into the weight room, the gym, no matter what time of day, where I was at, what I was doing. That was my life, and knowing that those things led to success. Um, you know, I was I was addicted to it. I don't know mm. how to say it other than that. I was addicted to training. You kind of had to be to be to be able to play eighty minutes. At that high of a level, the speed at that at that level is a, is a whole different story. Which for you those had to be addicted to for the, those of you guys that have never been at that level or played professional football, when you start getting up there, when everybody's just as big, just as fast, it is. It comes down to how technically sound you are, and when you train technically sound for eighty minutes, and you know you you're able to train eighty minutes in the weight room or doing cardio or a mix of both. It's, it's a whole different level. Mm -hmm. What was your nutrition like? What did that look like on a day-to-day -day basis? Day-to-day <laughs> uh, uh, -day basis. Uh, high school, I could pretty much eat whatever I wanted. Um, I tried to keep it. I, I stayed away from processed food. My number one vice was Panda Express. I will, <laughs> I will, I will, I will own that one. Uh, you know, Panda Express was, was my vice, but, you know, I didn't eat complex carbs. I didn't eat processed food. It was chicken, fish, steak, vegetables. It was making sure that I was constantly meeting whatever my body was burning. I was putting in the exact amount yeah. back, so I maintained, uh, you know, people that knew me back then, they would say, you maintained a Greek god-like figure because... All I did was run and lift and eat right. Yeah. And you had to to play at that high level or, you know, you wouldn't either A, you wouldn't have been participating or B, it would have been really miserable. Yeah. And it was it was one of those things where it was one of those things where I, I swear to God, everybody that's out there listening to this, I love fish, fresh salmon, halibut, jasmine rice, some soy sauce and some, uh, um, uh, ginger with that like I absolutely love fresh seafood um, I love a good steak and you know what kills you is it's going to McDonald's it's going to Burger King it's going mm -hmm. to 
it's going to these processed food places where it's quick and easy. Yeah, it's and that that kills athletes and athletes. I think these days are not. I think they're a little more aware now, but still, I you know I see high school kids all the time just here in Canyon City going to mm-hmm. Burger King, Sonic, Taco Bell's awesome, right? But it it's not a good thing. So. You spend a lot of time in the gym. You spend a lot of time in the kitchen. You're doing all these the things that are right, and the success is showing on the field. But what is what was or has been your biggest challenge, either on the field or off the field during that time? Who? Um, if you're all right, I got to break this one up just a little break bit. Break it up. Um, high school. High school was very difficult for me. Uh, you know, my dad worked a lot, and I love my father to death. He taught me how to be a good man. Um, a lot of his lessons I didn't fully understand until later on in my life, uh, mm-hmm. especially like 25 to 30. But one thing I will give my father is my father always taught me how to, if you want something bad enough, you will sacrifice uh, heaven and hell, hell to get there. And... You know, going through high school, you know, my, my mom had a lot of surgeries, uh, and I, I don't want to go too far into this. My, my mom had a lot of surgeries. Her health wasn't spectacular. Uh, and growing up in a Mormon household of five kids with two parents and two dogs, you know, that's, that's hard enough as is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, my mom and I did not have the best relationship, but, you know, good good news just for everybody listening. Like, we've, we've fixed that. We fixed that. I love my mother to death, and we've talked about these, th- these things. But my driving factor in high school was I was always angry. I was always mad because I was mad about being home. Mm. I was... I was mad about my family. I was mad about this or mad about that, and... Rugby, football, and baseball for me were an outlet. And, you know, I channeled that rage, even though I'm going to say this, I'll say this on air. Uh, I got in trouble. I was no saint. I got in trouble. Uh, I channeled all that and I put that into the gym. I put that into being on the field, extra training sessions, extra practices. Um, and that made me very successful. Uh, you know, I, I had bad habits, though, when it came to school. Mm-hmm. In high school, I skipped school all the time, like Halo 3. <laughs> Halo 3 had come out, and my buddy uh, Eric and I, we would, we'd skip school every day, and we would go play Halo, and we would go just enjoy being free. Yep. And I'd spend time, like, uh, I want to say my sophomore through senior year, I would do uh, weightlifting in the morning. Uh, team sports second period auto shop third period and metal shop third or fourth period and super bad habits around school which Mm -hmm. led to bad grades and not doing so well and you know I bombed my ACT I could I aced the science and math part but failed the reading and writing because I just did not care Mm -hmm. and you know that really inhibited me on what I could do for college 
but I also knew deep down that I was super athletic. I was better than anybody else out there when it came to rugby or football and whatever position I played in football and I just went with it. My dedication to the weight room and all that, uh, it went a long way. And then if we want to jump past that and go to college, uh, my freshman year, I fixed a lot of those poor schooling habits and poor time management. Uh, I went to Adams State College in Alamosa, which if anybody out there is listening, uh, I love the Grizzlies, but don't go to Alamosa. <laughs> it's, it is a town of 5,000 people, and fun on a weekend looks like going to Walmart and taking bikes off the rack and racing bikes off the rack. So it's it challenge, you already were struggling with bad habits, so being in an environment like that continued to challenge you even more. Uh, no, I would say Alamosa being a part of the Grizzlies, what I did learn is my entire year there, I made the uh, academic honor roll. Um, there was nothing to do, so all I did was went to the gym, did school, went mm. to practice, you know, and that made me very disciplined in my educational and schooling habits, as well as weight room, which, again, I cannot reiterate this enough for people out there, uh, being disciplined in the weight, uh, the weight room is the most important thing. Being disciplined and going to the field and running sprints, that's important. And then I got to UNC, and at UNC in Greeley, uh, all my buddies from high school or our rival high school were there. And, you know, just it was a straight party school. Yeah. It was, it's a nursing and teaching school. There's 10 girls, 11 girls to one guy. Um, the odds are forever in your favor. <laughs> yeah. Should I, should I put three fingers for the Mockingjay yeah, right I now? Think so. <laughs> I volunteer as tribute. <laughs> I did volunteer as tribute many I'm sure times. You did many times. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I got up to UNC, and then, you know, the funny part is, is the way I got up there is I went and visited, and I went and saw a few friends, and... You know, they said, come up here. And I'm talking about my closest friends, uh, Eric Eanes, Brian Shefferly, uh, Danny Nichols, uh, Luke Lineweber. Uh, I saw I, Kyle Hitt. I met a bunch of people that went up there, and they all played rugby or went to school. And I went up there, and I visited. And I was like, holy crap, this is what a real college mm -hmm. is supposed to look like. Right. So my mind was set. Uh, Kyle Hitt and Luke Lineweber talked me into playing rugby because in high school I had made the, you know, all-Colorado team three mm -hmm. years in a row. Mm -hmm. So I went up there open-minded and was like, let's go, let's go. Yep. You know, I just got off of playing football in Alamosa, so I was in peak shape. Again, 225, running uh, high 4440. And... Never had tested my 100 meter till then, but I was putting up 225 on bench at least 20 times. Uh, so you were a beast, basically, which didn't it, hurt your rugby chances no, in college. No, not, not at all. <laughs> I, I was fast. I'm six foot four, and I get up there and I go out to two days. And our coach, Mark Smith, who I absolutely adore this man, he's one of the best people I've ever met. Um, 
my in the first week of two a days, uh, I was the only one that stayed back. Everybody like when we do our two hour break, they'd go out and I stayed on the field. Mm-hmm. I'd be asking him like, "What do I need to work on? What do, What do I need to improve?" Picking his brain. Yeah, because he he was from England. He played for uh, the Lions at one point. Right. And why not take advantage of that when you got somebody that played at a high caliber level of rugby, yeah. especially overseas? Absolutely. You know, I, I get into college and I do that, and Mark took a very particular liking to me and made sure that I I excelled on the pitch. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, again, great man. Uh, I, I really hope he hears this. Uh, He's a great. He was a great coach, a great mentor, and he helped me develop skills because coming from Ponderosa High School in Parker, Colorado, where my coach, you know, Chris Marshall, all he taught me was, "You're so goddamn big, <laughs> just lower your head, yep. run through them, don't stop your feet, yeah. just don't worry about an offload, don't worry about a pass. Just you see that guy across from you, lay him the fuck out." Yeah. You know, when I got to that level at college, uh, UNC was the place to be for Division Two rugby in college. Uh, they had won a national championship in 2007, I believe, or 2006. Uh, it was a great rugby college because mm-hmm. UNC and Greeley is not known for football, right. baseball, nothing. It was rugby and hockey were what they were known for, which were club sports. Right. And... Uh, no, I was blessed. He he took a liking to me, and he made sure I learned how to play the game at a fundamental level. Mm-hmm. And when I say fundamental level, he made sure I learned how to pass. I learned how to offload. I learned how to shake one or two defenders in the open field. Mm-hmm. Um, he made sure my commitment to the weight room and in practice as well as out of practice was on par. And he... Uh, he, he taught me a lot of great things that I, I, I would argue helped propel me to play for Glendale. And to his credit, he had a lot of people that left from his coaching side, or not coaching side, playing side in the years before I got there that also played for Glendale. Yep. Um, so it was, it was almost like an easy way in. Yes. Uh, but, you know, when I, when I talk about what it took to do that with him, you know, we practiced three days a week. We did it for two hours. We went from five to seven. Mm-hmm. Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Uh, games would be on Saturday. Fridays were a run-through. It was two hours of running through situational awareness. Right. And, you know, we do that. And what he never counted on is every day before practice and even on my off days, Tuesday and Thursdays, I went to the gym for three hours a day. Yep. I'd get done with class. I'd do my homework. I would go crank crank it out at the gym. I'd go through my hour and a half long workout, and then I would spend an hour and a half running on an indoor track with a rugby ball, making sure I knew my steps. I knew mm-hmm. how to accelerate. I knew how to slow down. Um, it, was, it was fun. So it's safe to say that I mean, you overcame a lot of different things, whether it was at home, whether it was a you know interesting environment in college, whatever you played it, and then you moved on to the higher level. But it's it's safe to say that your biggest challenges still remained, 
And we're going to fast forward a little bit to when you left, you moved from Denver, you moved about two and a half hours southwest um, into a town called Canyon City. Um, and you have been here for the last couple of years. So we're going to fast forward a little bit. Um, for a while, you didn't play rugby. For a while, right. you didn't have a big athletic um you didn't have an athletic identity as much because you had walked away from that a little bit. So yeah, the the question that I have is you know, we us as athletes, we spend our entire lives doing the sport. We dedicate everything to the sport. That's how we, you know, we deal with aggression issues. We deal yeah. with depression. I mean, whatever. Yeah. Athletes in general will understand. So after leaving sports, it's particularly rugby for a while, how did that affect your mindset? Um, that is a great question, Corey. Uh, you know, for me to be able to explain that, I would have to start with, you know, I'd have to go back to college. Um, you know, I it was such a small school with only 10, 12,000 kids mm -hmm. uh, in a small town. Uh, you know, I developed a lot of bad habits socially mm. because I was, you know, I would I would go out and drink. I would go out and hang out with people. I'd go out and hang out with people that said they were my friend. Um, you know, again, people that knew me back then would say that I looked like a Greek god just because of how I was built. And girls, girls were an issue. So a lot of distractions, drinking. Yeah partying consistently stuff like that yeah and I was I was usually pretty good about when we were in season not doing that but what I was unaware of at the time is that laid that laid the groundwork uh, for me to make some pretty bad decisions uh, you know I'm sure my mother and father will hear this podcast uh, so I'm sorry. I, I I definitely did some things that I should not have done. Sorry, mom and dad. Yeah, uh, I did some things that I should not have done, and I'm not being funny, and I'm not trying to sound cocky and or arrogant. Uh, you know, I could have my pick of girls any night that I went out. I could, you know, go drink for free or go to a party and drink and do this because people knew who I was and I was a good athlete. Not knowing that, you know, I was setting myself up for failure because mm. subconsciously I was putting my mind in this dark place of I can do whatever I want and there's no consequences because I'm a great athlete. And I right. think a lot of college athletes, a lot of pro athletes, they, they miss that bit. They think because they're at the pinnacle of their career or the pinnacle of whatever it is that they're doing mm – -hmm. um, they're above the law or they're above repercussions. And I'm just here to say to everybody out there that there's repercussions. And I, I, I reaped what I sowed. I, I made a mistake at work uh, because my senior year, I would go to class Tuesday and Thursday. I'd go to class from 7 in the morning to 5 at night. I'd go to the gym from 7 to 9. I'd go home. I'd eat. Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, I had nothing to do, so I worked in the mornings at Office Depot, stocking shelves, going to practice at nighttime. Uh, I made a mistake, 
and I took some stuff that I shouldn't have from work uh, because I was desperate. You know, my parents weren't helping me as much as they should have or could have financially. Student loans were a joke back then. You mm-hmm. got enough to pay for tuition. And I, I made a honest-to-God mistake and did some things at work that I shouldn't have. And that propelled me, you know, that propelled me into the next phase of my life because I love my father, Steve Kempton, to death. My mother, Kristen Kempton. Uh, they both came up. Uh, you know, they bailed me out of jail. Mm. And... You know, I'd spend a night in jail, and they said, you're done. And this was right before our team was set to go to California to uh, go compete for a Division I national championship, which, if I can explain this to people listening, that was that would be the equivalent of watching Alabama and Florida play for the national championship in football. It was a big deal. Yeah, and I, I – Pardon my language, everybody. I fucked up. And by messing up the way that I did, uh, I was the heart and soul of our team. And it damaged what we had going on. You know, our team got knocked out in the very first game. Uh, I had to say goodbye to all my friends. And, you know, I I remember getting in the truck after my dad came up. And he... uh, made me call our coach and he told our coach because I was in tears and couldn't handle it that he won't be able to go to California he's not going to be able to do this he's not going to be able to do that Uh, I'm bringing him home and I'm making sure he gets on the right track and when that happened I, I swear to God I got home and I had an identity crisis because that had been who I'd been for so long was just a stellar athlete it it destroyed me. I had nightmares. I had I had depression, anxiety. I had remorse, guilt. I went back to a country club uh, at the Pinery that I'd worked at on and off through college. And thank God, our head chef Kyle Walker he he gave me a chance. I worked in the kitchen. I worked on the line. I did. I channeled that energy that I had and passion that I had. For the sport mm. into the kitchen I learned five star dining I learned how to bartend I learned how to do all these other things you know so if I fast track from there to where I'm at now uh, at Glendale I had a very significant concussion playing the Utah it was a it was a team out of Utah which are now the Utah Warriors um, level four concussion I was unconscious for about 30 seconds Mm. and then being a dumbass I wrecked a motorcycle a month later and (laughs) wasn't wearing wasn't wearing a helmet doing some extracurricular activities Mm -hmm. and I decided enough was enough and I've taken that passion and that drive and I'm able to apply that into other areas especially work I've used work as an outlet or a deciding factor, like if I can't go do this at that level again, I might as well be successful where I'm at. Um, 
And for those of you guys that do not know this, working with juvenile delinquents in a treatment center is one of the hardest jobs you could possibly ever do. Mm-hmm. And rugby was one of the hardest sports you could ever do. And I thrived on being successful there, working with kids and doing that. And I channeled that. And then, uh, you know, I met I met my good buddy, Corey here, <laughs> who moved from Michigan. Uh, I talked in a previous episode about <laughs> Southern Peaks and how horrible it was. So we don't need to go in too much about Southern Peaks, but... And I'm I'm not I gladly I'm happy though that that's we got to meet there at least they yeah and they 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 definitely gave me a great opportunity somebody that had been in trouble that was an ex athlete all these things they gave me an opportunity and I channeled that drive that I had from rugby uh, to work myself up from literally an entry level direct care staff to. You know, right now, if you looked around, this is five years later, I'm the third in line for the entire facility. Mm -hmm. And, you know, at 30 years old, uh, that's something to be said. Yep. Especially dealing in an atmosphere that is not necessarily healthy or... To say the least. Yeah, how would you describe it? It's not. It's definitely not healthy. It's definitely not healthy. I did. We did a whole episode on burnout, and I talked at length about what Southern Peaks does to people... And it's not lost on, it's not lost to you, and it's not lost on me. No, and, what uh, what that does. And Corey, Corey can attest to this. Uh, it requires a lot, and he gives me shit all the time. That, <laughs> you know, I'm a glutton for punishment, and I have to put things in perspective. I was a glutton for punishment because, look at the sports career I had. I I defiled my body and mental state in order to be able to get there. Absolutely. So, it's. We, you said it, uh, you talked about funneling your athletic drive and your competitive nature. It's interesting because you've sort of done that into, even though it's not the healthiest workplace, you've decided to do that into a different avenue, which is really interesting. Um, and that, I mean, that answered a question that I was going to ask you anyway, because it's, it's interesting what athletes do once they're not playing the yeah, sport. Yeah, ab- absolutely. How they, how they funnel that, because we're all competitive. We're yeah. all aggressive. We're all, we all have these innate traits that some people don't have, and it's yeah. how you funnel it and where you go with it once you're done playing the sport. I, I wouldn't say that it's we're all aggressive. We all have that competitive drive, especially true athletes. Mm-hmm. And when I say true athletes, I'm not talking about, those of y'all listening to this, the people that were practice heroes on your football team or soccer <laughs> team or baseball team, the guys that went out there and just busted their ass and practice and look good in practice, but come game time, totally sucked i'm not talking about those people like yeah they got some competitiveness but it's almost like it's for show yeah you know i mean like yeah. hey i'm great at doing this part i'm great we, at this. we all know yeah. some of those yeah everybody knows that and you know those people in the workplace they're the people that are brown nosing your boss those, yes. those are the people that are kissing ass and not really doing anything yep and when you compare those people to those of us that have are true athletes, competitive athletes. Uh, you know, we take a lot of that and we we drive that and channel it into something else. And you know, that's that's one of the greatest gifts about being an athlete is a, a true athlete. There's so many things that we've had to overcome that it it helps take us into that next level in you know, if you could see a picture of me back then a pair, compared to a picture of me now, <laughs> uh, 
Your you focus has shifted. We'll yeah. just say that. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've, I put on 50 pounds. Like, I, I'm not fat. I put on 50 pounds since my playing day. It was nice to, you know, drink beer, eat chicken wings, not, <laughs> not worry about going to the gym and killing myself three yeah. hours a day. It was, it was nice. So, a couple more questions. You've been playing again recently. Yeah. Um, how has that impacted you? Oh, man. Uh, again, thanks to Corey. Uh, Corey, meeting him sparked my peak to be able to go play. Uh, the only difference is, is my priorities have shifted. You know, I wanted a stable job. I wanted to make sure that I had good money to where I could afford my living space, my car. I could do things that I wanted to do in my free time. Because uh, when I played at Glendale, like, I was on the – the brink of when they just started contracting players out for, you know, and I, again, anybody from Glendale, I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't be saying this. Uh, <laughs> they were contracting players out from anywhere between 30 and 60 grand a year. I didn't make the cut and like, that's fine. I, I took that and I wanted to apply that into a job where I could make between 30 and 60 grand a year. But it was, uh, you know, it's it's not easy. How has been playing rugby again? How has that impacted you, though? Because we've been playing together, um, which has been a blast. But you hadn't played for about four years. Um, yes. Yeah, and then we started playing yeah. again. So what? Tell me, tell me what that was like stepping back on the field. Um, for anybody out there, I, I don't know how else to say this. It's a very crude analogy. Uh, if you hadn't been laid in a while, and then all of a sudden you get laid, that's what it felt like. It felt great going back out there and just, you know, just. You can't walk after either. <laughs> um, it was great. I mean, you know, I got I got to go play a few games with Corey probably back in, what, 2016, 2017? The spring of 2017. Yeah, I got to go play a couple. Snow. Yeah, I got to go play a couple games with Corey, of which was awesome because we got to go play Boulder. I hate Boulder because anybody from Colorado that doesn't go to Boulder that you you hate anybody from Boulder. He, he doesn't hold <laughs> grudges, people. I promise. Um, I really don't. But athletic grudges, I got a few. Uh, and then I actually got to play against Glendale's D three side, which was a blast. And you know, back in my heyday, I weighed between 225 and 235. Again, running a high-end 4440, uh, you know, doing a little bit above a 10-second flat 100-meter. Uh, His focus then, shifted, everyone. Yeah, and then being 270, <laughs> 275 going out there and knowing that I still got, you know, quick feet. I'm not going to break away by no means necessary. But going out there and knowing that I can play situational ball and still be effective in lineouts, scrums, rucks, you know, even open field where, God, I might as well enjoy being kind of fat because people aren't <laughs> going to tackle me because I don't know how to – I'm not going to stop moving my legs. It has, it has reinvigorated me, which is – it makes me want to, you know, finish out maybe a, a year or two more where I'm at or go to do something else, but – is reinvigorating me to the point where I would love to go coach a college team. Mm. 
because in my intermission between leaving UNC and playing for Glendale, I helped coach the high school team. And the level of knowledge that I had was so impactful for those kids. You know, they sucked the year that I, I helped coach them. They lost almost every single game that they played. God bless their souls, but they never gave up. Mm-hmm. Um, but the following year when I got picked up and I actually got to go play for Glendale, they won a state championship at D3, and I, I, I got to give them credit for that. And I think if I could take, if I could take what I know now and I could take my experience, even though I love to go play uh, you know, D3, D4 with Corey, for those of y'all that don't know, that would be like uh, he gives me shit because I say it's like beer league softball, but it's not. It's the equivalent of you know, technically playing semi-pro football or, or baseball, like not the minor leagues, but the feeder teams. Um, I would love to go do something like that, and those those priorities have since shifted, and it makes me feel good. So, yeah, it's been good that you have been – I uh, there's a definite shift in, in you when you're being able to play and when you're not. So we're going to – we're going to shift gears a little bit here. We've talked about a lot of serious stuff. There's a tradition in rugby called shooting the boot. Um, <laughs> so I want you to tell me what shooting the boot is. Oh, man. And then I want you to tell me what it's like to shoot a boot. Oh, God. So what is it, and what's it like to do it? Okay, so rugby culture, shooting the boot. Um, if we're really talking about diehard rooted rugby culture, shooting the boot is anybody that is a rookie on that team that scores their first try, they do what is called the Zulu, which that is a naked lap around the field. <laughs> you are cocking balls, bare ass, <laughs> running around the field. Uh, you got to do a lap. Uh, your first score for that team, you got to do a lap. And uh, most guys, they – you know, they, they start chickening out. They don't do it, but old school rugby culture, you'd run a naked lap. Um, you know, those of us that were smart when we had to do it, kind of like myself, uh, you put a sock over your junk and you just run and you get it over with. And you just got Sir, your... this doesn't sound like shooting the boot, <laughs> sir. Well, I'm getting into shooting the boot. Uh, uh, and then when you get done with that, you shoot the boot, which is somebody takes their rugby cleat off. They fill it up with Mind you, a they beer. had just got done playing. Yes. The, the boot, this, so the boot the is, is very warm, stinky. stinky, nasty, full of sweat. Um, they fill, like, it's typically the captain or one of the higher senior players on the team. Or if you were like me, just one of the, one of the messed up individuals that had a crazy sense of humor, uh, you'd fill up your boot, you'd fill up your cleat uh, with a beer. And when they got back, before they could put their clothes back on, they had to shoot the boot, which means they pour a beer in, they had to chug it. Mm. And if they chugged it and they did all that, like that was like initiation. You're on the team, you're good to go. Like you just proved yourself. <laughs> um, but nowadays, uh, especially when I was in college and high school, you don't run around the field naked because you wind up getting a sex offender charge or anything <laughs> like that, especially here in the U.S. in decent exposure. So what we typically did was – you know, the after-game social, you had to go run around the house, butt-ass naked. And when you got back, that boot may not have just been filled with beer. They'd put hot sauce. They'd spit in it. They would, you know, just defile it, and you had to chug it. Um, 
and nobody nobody knocked you if you puked. <laughs> um, my first experience was shooting the boot. I was in ninth ninth or tenth grade. Uh, I I had a hat trick in a game, um, which for those of y'all that don't know, it was three scores. Uh, I got done. You know, uh, one of our one of our older guys on the team, I think his name was Mike Bassett, and our coach's son. Uh, you know, we went out, we grilled, and they're like, "Yo, it's initiation time." <laughs> and I'm like, "What do you mean?" And they're like, "You got to do a Zulu." And they said, and "I was like, wait, what?" And they're like, "You got to run around the house naked." And I was like, "What do you mean naked?" And they're like, "Birthday suit, buddy." <laughs> uh, and I was like, uh, "I need a couple more beers before I do that." So. Yeah. Being good old, good old older boys that they were, uh, you know, I had a few more beers. I was and say they helped you out with that. Yeah, ran around the house naked. And when I came back, thank God these guys were at least respectful, and I, I had a good rapport with them. They just filled up a cleat with a beer, and I had to chug it out, and that was it. Well, I'm happy to say that my first boot experience was not that bad. So when I was in college, they did, if you were singing a rugby song and you messed it up, <laughs> Social hat they, around they the head. interrupted <laughs> you with the shoot the boot chant. So everyone would fill up the boot with whatever they had in their hand. And then you'd have to chug the boot while they chanted at you. Um, luckily, uh, I think someone else took a hit for me and did the Zulu run for me. So I never had to do that. But that's what shooting a boot is, folks. And everyone has their own genuine fun story about that. So, yeah, Or a horrible story that ends in them puking. Yeah. But but that's fun, too. Yeah, it's it's all fun and good because you laugh at it at the end. So I'm going to ask you the last question. We ask everybody this question. Um, what does being a warrior mean to you? Um, it's a great question. Uh, you know, I, I look around nowadays and I see people that – they're afraid. They are afraid to change something in their lives. They're afraid to, you know, be somebody better. They're afraid to take a chance. They're afraid to do something. Um, you know, I have pity for those people. Uh, if those of y'all that were out there could see me, I have a, I have an entire wolf sleeve up one arm, uh, my family crest, a quilt, and a cross up my other arm. Tattoos. You know, I, I model a lot of my life off of being being a warrior, and you know, being a warrior is standing up for those of you that are weak, or inspiring those of y'all that are lost, or helping people that don't know what it is that they're supposed to do with finding their way. Mm. Uh, you know, I have, you know, the wolf tattoos to remind me to be a leader. Like, the alpha of a wolf pack, they don't stand in the front. They stand at the back and they keep everybody in front of them. And that was always my philosophy with, you know, playing sports, which, you know, that was weird for me at Glendale. You know, I wasn't the leader. I wasn't the heart. I wasn't that. Um, but that didn't mean that I didn't take that and apply that in other places in my life. Uh, I go to the flip end. I've got a quote down my shoulder. 
shoulder blade that reminds me about not messing up again and redeeming myself. Um, and then I got both sides of my family crest, and both sides of my family crest, uh, looking at our history, we were warriors. We were, we were noble peoples. We, were, we stood up for those that were weak. We stood up for those that were helpless. We stood up to things that we thought were wrong. And when I look around these days and I see so many people that are just this learned sense of helplessness, mm. being a warrior these days, uh, it means something different. It means being able to take a stance, think for yourself, challenge yourself to be better, be something that you don't think that you can be, try, because uh, any of y'all that out there that don't know this, Michael Jordan, um, Tom Brady, DeMarcus Ware, uh, you know, we're talking about rugby, Richie McCaw, uh, Dan Carter, uh, all these people that are super successful athletes, they embraced failing. They were warriors within failure. They never stopped. They never gave up. You know, Michael Jordan got kicked off his high school basketball team. Lo and behold, the man wins six NBA championships. Mm -hmm. Tom Brady, people make fun of Tom Brady all the time, but say what you want for being a 40-year-old guy, like that guy's got six Super Bowl rings. Yep. Um, Richie McCaw, he's, appear, uh, he's appeared in four World Cups. He's never quit. He's never stopped. He's endured the hardships. Um, you know, so being a warrior to me is, it's not so much about what I can do. It's what other people should do to benefit themselves. Be the warrior. Be the warrior, everyone. That's a great place to leave it. So, Steven. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you had to get one in there. I appreciate it's, it's you. Dallas. Steven is my first name. No, don't get this twisted, man. Don't get it twisted. I appreciate you coming on and being a guest. Uh, that, that was a lot of heartfelt stuff. Uh, thank you for sharing. Yeah, So thank you guys. Until next time, sir. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Weekly Warrior Podcast. Thank you to Mr. Dallas Kempton for joining us. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or you'd like to see Connor shoot the boot, please send us a direct message on our Instagram at the Weekly Warrior Podcast. Also, go over and leave us a five-star review if you love our show as much as we do. Until next time, everyone, have fun discovering your warrior within. <laughs>